Welcome to the Let's Talk Life in Lockdown podcast from the University of Edinburgh and Edinburgh Students Association, keeping us together and sharing experiences in this extraordinary period of social distancing. I'm Harriet Harris, the University Chaplain, and today I'm talking to Martha Pollard, a PhD student in Alzheimer and Dementia Research at the University of Edinburgh. Martha tells us about the challenges of lockdown for those living with dementia and for their carers, especially now that they are unable to get the respite of meeting in groups or of receiving specialist care in their homes. Martha also talks about the interruption that lockdown brings to her own doctoral research now that she cannot work with people on dementia wards. We don't always think about research being interrupted by lockdown, so it's so helpful to be made aware. Nonetheless, Martha is finding that confinement is leading to discoveries about new ways of working, and so brings with it a new kind of freedom. So Martha, thanks ever so much for joining me for this conversation. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you very much, Harriet. Yeah, I am a PhD student at the University of Edinburgh, associated with the Alzheimer's Scotland Dementia Research Centre and the Edinburgh Centre for Research on the Experience of Dementia, um, and also supervised within the chaplaincy, uh, because my project touches on all of those areas. Um, and I work too um, at the Eric Little Centre in a support capacity with people living with dementia and carers. Yeah, thanks so much, Martha. And I've been really interested to talk to you and so glad that you've joined us for this podcast because, you know, I think so many of us are concerned about what this experience of lockdown is like for those with dementia and for those who are caring uh, for people with Mm -hmm. dementia. It'd be really interesting to hear your sense of that. Okay. Yeah. um, So my experience with people living with dementia and carers in a support capacity Um, has been going on for several years. So I've been based at the Eric Little Centre since 2014. Um, So I've been working with people largely in a befriending capacity, social and emotional support groups um, and individually. Um, So that involves lots of different elements. Um, And that is how it continues now in my support capacity um, with people living with dementia and carers. My My research kind of grew out of what I was doing there with the, the individuals and groups that I was working with um, and interest to explore particular aspects of the experience of people who are coping with such circumstances. Mm. Um, and I became really interested in the idea of freedom and what, what happens to people's freedom um, when they're diagnosed with dementia, living with dementia day to day, whether as the person living with dementia or a carer um, looking after somebody living with dementia. I wanted to explore that further, which is how I ended up going into research in that area. Um, and so now in lockdown, um, the the challenge and the issues for us as people providing support is how do we best do that in circumstances where we can no longer see people face to face? And so that's what we've been coping for um, at the beginning of this lockdown period and looking to sustain over the period of lockdown, however long that happens to be. Mm. So, the, and there's a real um, poignancy to that, isn't it? Because, you know, as you were saying, your research before the coronavirus outbreak was about uh, people perhaps feeling that their freedom was was being uh, diminished or taken from them when they had dementia and, and you, you were looking for ways in which people might 
uh, regain or rediscover some freedom with dementia. And now, of course, the lockdown process has brought a, a sort of element of confinement, really, or, or an added mm. element of confinement mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. How, how are, um, what's your sense of how people are managing? Mm-hmm. Um that uh, yeah in some sense um an easy question to answer in that everybody is finding it challenging i am um, and in some senses a difficult question to answer in that everyone is finding it challenging perhaps in different ways um so depending on one's circumstances some people are finding it um um not as distressing as others nonetheless there are some com- commonalities in terms of the the sheer intensity of the experience um and the practical concerns that brings within a situation in which um, most the people are in a group where they're not meant to go outside at all. Um, right. And the intensity of the experience of being inside a house 24 hours a day uh, and in a, um, a situation where one, at least one of the people is highly vulnerable. Sometimes um, in a care situation, it's not only the person who's being cared for is vulnerable, but both. Um, and the, the challenges that brings both practically and emotionally in terms of um, contact when there was already isolation before lockdown, which was being mitigated by attendance at groups, um, weekly friendship groups, um, and which people are really missing, in my experience. So that that's the part that I know best, and that's I know that people are really missing that aspect of the the weekly connection with others, and it was something they very much relied upon and looked forward to. Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder how this will be different for each person, really. But um, I wonder whether lockdown is increasing a sense of disorientation for some people and maybe for others it isn't because they're staying within a familiar mm. setting. Yeah, that's, um, I think the, the, it's an interesting question. The, um, what I hear from people that I speak to is the disorientation comes in not being able to differentiate the days, um, uh, which yeah. I, I guess I have to, to say is also true of my own experience. Um, yeah. even in spite of work patterns that, uh, that I am now, I'm working in a different way, I'm working from home, but that disorientation is part of my own experience too. But that's what I'm hearing from people is, you know, I don't know what, I'm not sure what day it is. The routine that I had is um, no longer existing in the same way. So how do I make sense of this experience now, which is all the time is running together? Um, yeah. And how, how do I keep track of uh, what's when and where and um, a sense of, kind of being in the world, you know, which which is feels in one way very much reduced um, than it did mm. before. Mm. And, and are people having um, to manage uh, fewer opportunities for carers coming in? Mm. Are, are you finding that people who, who for, used to have a certain amount yeah. of care mm-hmm. coming in is, has now mm-hmm. been cut? Yes. Right. Yes. So the availability of care is reduced um, and that is bringing distress um, because then that that of the increase of the responsibility on the unpaid carer who is at home, mm. Um, mm. meaning that one, um, respite opportunities um, have been lost that used to be in place where a person with dementia might, might attend a, a, a lunch club or a, or a day club. Um, or there might be a carer who came in for a few hours to allow a, a the, the carer to get out for a while um there would be visits to places which although not respite you know they're attending together but yet it's a different environment and um something else to keep the stimulation going all that's gone um and then the practical support is also 
um, gone. So that all of those responsibilities then land on the person who is doing the caring. And that is a 24-hour task. Um, and that is something people are finding significantly challenging and quite overwhelming. Absolutely. I can I can certainly imagine that. And it's it's good to be made so very aware of that. What are the things that other people might be able to do to, to help and support? Mm. Well, um, things I suppose that um, at the at the centre um, we are trying to do ourselves, which is to keep in telephone contact with people, mm. um, and both both in kind of a, a. So one one of the things, for example, that I do is that I will will phone the group that I'm most involved with on the day that we would usually meet within the centre, um, which helps build that pattern back in again, um, and also have now developed a, a weekly newsletter, well, an informal magazine, which is sent out weekly um, and which something is really appreciating, people are really appreciating. So it's suggestions of activities, um, photographs, uh, perhaps we articles of interest, people are contributing things to that magazine so that there's that continued sense of community. So people interacting with one another, perhaps even doing the same activities because they've received received the same, you know, little magazine. Um, And so kind of, I guess, expanding that to what other people might be able to do to be helpful is the regular the regular contact through phone calls or, or simple things like cards and letters you know to okay. to keep mm-hmm. to keep things coming in and to keep the connection going at a time when all sorts of other connections are being lost so those small things can really make a very big difference yeah yeah so to perhaps to sort of dig in a bit harder to to, to keep keep the connecting going yeah Yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So um, I know that from from what I hear from people, you know, those telephone calls of support really matter to folks and getting something through the letterbox um, really makes a very big difference to their experience of uh, of this time. Yeah. And for the carers, are there networks for them to be able to um, keep up with each other and support each other online? Are you aware? Yes, of that? there are. Um, yeah. There are various ways that people can do that. Um, within within this the centre, there are um, what the the classes that used to run for carers in the centre. Several of them have been transferred online. Um, there are mindfulness courses which are being now offered online. Um, so all of these. There's also elements built in which are informal chat elements. So, you know, before the meeting and, you know, after the class, there's mm. there's time for carers to interact. There are other um, ways. There's something called carer conversations through uh, Alzheimer's Scotland where carers connect, connect to speak. Um, and um, other carer organizations are working very hard to ensure that support is still available to carers by way of, talking individually to carer support workers um, or keeping carers in connection with one another, you know, um, through various means uh, electronically. That's really good to hear. I'm also wondering whether uh, some of the really nice uh, forms of support for people with dementia are able to carry on online. So thinking particularly about Mm -hmm. music Mm -hmm. uh, and how music is is such um, a comforting and animating yeah thing for many people with dementia yes are, are there are there forms for there are for, for that yes there are indeed um so capital theaters 
um, you know, Kingsland Festival Theatres have had a dementia-friendly uh, program going on for several years now, and they are continuing their events online. Um, so oh. they've they've begun to offer. There was a tea and jam event recently, um, and Luminate, the Creative Aging Organization, um, has put lots of different kinds of videos online that, that people, so activities they release, I think it's perhaps a Tuesday and Thursday, I can't remember if those are the particular days, you know, they release new activities that people can follow online and there are music groups that are happening online. So yes, there are ways that people can um, continue to participate, especially in music and creative activities uh, through the internet. Um, so that's that's a brilliant thing for people who are able mm. to connect with that. That is a brilliant thing. Really glad, and it makes you feel glad mm-hmm. in a way that that this, you know, this this lockdown has happened when we have got the tech for that to be possible. Yes, obviously, it's not; it can't work for everybody if they haven't got um, the uh, the equipment at home. Mm-hmm. But it mm-hmm. hopefully it's working for mm-hmm. a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know of, of at least one example where the Refrenders connection is by Skype, and they sing over Skype. So that oh, you know, great, yeah. They sing together. Sing Skype. together over Skype. Yes. <laughs> that's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. That's really nice. Really nice. Yeah. Uh, and Martha, I was going to ask you about your own research because I know that that's been affected uh, by the lockdown. And it's something that uh, I think perhaps hasn't been all that much talked about at the moment, but the extent to which research research pro- processes and practices have have had to change and sometimes mm-hmm. had to stop because of the lockdown, just because people don't have access to the places and people mm-hmm. they uh, they need for the mm-hmm. for their original research project. Can you tell us a bit about how that's affecting you? Mm. Yeah, so my my own project um, has been designed to take place in specialist dementia units, which are mm. NHS based, um, where people living with dementia who um, may be be experiencing. Um, particularly high levels of distress uh, may need to stay for a period of months, sometimes longer than that, um, where they can receive specialist care and support. Um, and those those units for people's safety are closed units. They're, um, they're locked units. Um, and I was interested to be speaking in those units with people living with dementia about what of their experience living in that state in that setting um, and you know particularly in regard to feelings of freedom um, within that who is it that experiences freedom if they do if people do experience freedom in that setting who is it who's experiencing freedom and when do they experience it what supports that um, what perhaps works against that um, and so I was going to be speaking with people living with dementia with medical uh, and social care staff working in those settings with unpaid carers of people living with dementia in those settings to get their perspectives um, and chaplains working in those settings. So that was um, reasonably far through the planning stages um, and it's not any, anything that I will be able to pick up again soon because of the safety element of simply um, it not being safe to be in those settings uh, for yeah. the COVID-19 spread. So um, that's not going to be happening for a significant period of time. So that's changed um, how I need to be thinking about my research at this stage and what I am doing in order to continue to explore the questions that I'm interested um, and that includes now a set of uh, circumstances which is quite different from the ones that uh, were 
the case before COVID-19. Yeah. So you're rethinking your research questions and methods under under these very unusual circumstances. Yes, that's right. So I am still thinking about freedom, but Mm. rethinking who it is that would like to um, explore those questions with and how how to do that best within these circumstances within a way that um, fits within the overall framework of the the thesis as I had been um, researching um, and to see how that can be incorporated um, into the overall project in a way that makes sense um, and then that can then either return to the original aspect of the the project when that becomes possible or could build on what I'm doing now lest that particular project never becomes possible anymore um, because that's also an unknown element. Yeah so that's that's real sort of contingency Mm -hmm. planning around the research yes yes we we don't know as you say we don't don't know know. whether you will be able to get back onto the boards yes uh yeah yeah so that's quite a challenge are there other things um that you've noticed as as challenges uh for yourself at this time just the lockdown challenges Mm. um yes i suppose work well working from home um and and because my work is all about supporting people, um, I have several dis- different aspects of work. Um, and so- some of my work is is counselling work, um, and some of my work is counselling skills teaching. So all of that involves um, working at relational depth with people, um, yeah. and th- that's involved a very intense um, time of learning of using video conferencing platforms and. Um, significant interaction over the telephone to an extent I had I had never done before so that's that's all new for for me Um, and keeping in contact with colleagues and with with teams um, as we're trying to make decisions about how we can best support people in all the various ways that so at the Eric Little Centre, that's one aspect of my work is one aspect of, of that support. But there are all sorts of other ways through the centre that people are supported. And so, you know, trying to discuss uh, as a centre how best to continue, expand, develop new programmes of support that people need at this time. Um, keeping in contact is, you know, a, a significant aspect of um, working at home, which can prove challenging sometimes um, yeah. just because of the, the level of intensity of back and forth emails or, you know, uh, video meetings or telephone calls um, is, uh, yeah, is, is a significant aspect of that. <laughs> yeah. And, and it sounds as though a lot of thinking on your feet for the yes. little centre team. Yes. Yeah. 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 Which, and which is quite exciting and animating, yeah. isn't it? But it is. Also, it is. It's challenging. Yes. Yeah. Can I ask you out of interest with the counselling and working with people at depth work, mm-hmm. are you noticing um, whether you are finding rapport and uh, getting a sense of how the person on the other end of the line is doing? Mm. Are you finding that video or phone works better for you? Because I, I, I feel that different people have different, mm. some people prefer phones, some people prefer mm. Uh, th- to be able to see the face, I just wondered what what how you were finding that. Yes, um, 
so I wasn't I wasn't sure how either of those things was going to be before I began it, um, but undertook some some training um, in order to think through the various aspects of of doing that and making sure that all the the, the ethical um, protocol and everything was in place. Um, so that's been a learning experience for me and that for me, either telephone or Zoom, they're both okay for me. Um, mm, okay. And it's really down to what the person on the other end prefers most. So, you know, I have some who prefer the telephone and I have some who prefer Zoom um, and either of those is fine with me. And I have been um, pleasantly, uh, well, been curious to discover that um, actually it has been possible to connect that way um, in a way that yeah. I, I, I might not have imagined was possible ah. through those media. Um, but it but it does seem to be. And I wonder if um, it, it brings something that perhaps a, a, a face to, physical face-to-face meeting wouldn't bring. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm musing off the top of my head. Yes. Because <laughs> I'm yes. not meaning to put you on the spot. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, um, yeah, well, so, you know, some part part of the training, you know, um, it, it kind of poses a warning about that, really, about, you know, sometimes uh, working online can encourage people to open up much quicker than they otherwise would. Uh, so there's something in mind of, you know, the, the person who's doing the counselling to be aware of that and to put in place things to help to help mitigate that, um, b- because it can mean that people end up feeling more uncomfortable than they imagined they might just because they've they've shared more than than they would have done had they been in a face to face setting. So really what I have been learning about that is the possibility that people may well be more open um, yeah. and that's that's not necessarily um something that that is advantageous because of the type of the vulnerable emotional state that that can can bring to somebody that they they wouldn't necessarily experience in the same way if they were working face to face because they might they might not bring up so much so immediately um yeah. so yeah that's, that's been so that's been a possibility um that i hadn't been aware of before undertaking the training um and something to look out for that's really interesting. Are you trained to do a bit of pacing with them? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just before we end, Martha, I wondered if there were other things that you were discovering uh, during this this time of lockdown that you think you might not have discovered otherwise. Hmm. If we hadn't been locked down. Yes. Yes. Well. Um. <laughs> yes. Um. Uh, when I've discovered it is actually possible for me in in the work that I do, it is actually possible fully to work from home, mm, which okay. I wouldn't have imagined was possible, mm. uh, and it really is. Um, Two, um, I've discovered that I had I would I would never have chosen to work on video conferencing platforms, um, <laughs> unless forced, uh, and I have been forced, and uh, and I've learned that. Um, I would now probably use this even out of lockdown. Um, there are lots of situations in which I can see it would be helpful, and I I would even uh, consider it at a at a point of, you know, when I had a private counselling practice, which is not something I'm intending to do anytime soon. But that I I would consider having um, counselling clients by video conferencing platform, okay. um, yeah. and I wouldn't have imagined that I would ever have done that, and I'm discovered that um, that is possible. So that is something mm. that I've learned um, as well. So um, these are, yeah, these are interesting things to learn that are, that 
of what's possible when you don't imagine that that would be possible until you're <laughs> compelled to that's right learn that <laughs> and actually it's it's so fitting with your research interest isn't it the paradox between confinement and freedom mm-hmm. so yes. you, you're being as you say compelled mm-hmm. has enabled you to discover to discover two quite liberating things that you can work from home mm-hmm. And that you can mm-hmm. counsel through video conferencing, and they both of those mm-hmm. bits of knowledge give you a bit more choice, don't they? So That's they right. extend your freedom. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's terrific. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Martha, thanks so much for this conversation. I've learned a huge amount from it, and I, I wish you, um, you know, really well with your work that you're doing in supporting those with dementia and and uh, and the carers of those with dementia. It's such hugely important work for keeping them connected at this time. So thank you. Well, thank you very much, Harriet. For the latest university COVID-19 advice and news, go to the University of Edinburgh website and you'll find all the links you need at the top of the homepage. If you would like to discuss any issues affecting you from this podcast or would like welfare support during lockdown, you can contact the university's listening service by emailing listening.service at ed.ac.uk. The listening service is run by the chaplaincy and is for all Edinburgh students and staff.